Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome to um, week two in our um, series looking at our core value of courageous faith and how it shapes us as disciples. Last week, uh, Lead Pastor Sam Storms and I sat down and talked about um, kind of what is courageous faith. We looked at um, what is faith. Uh, we kind of talked about three different prongs. That it's it's not just intellectual assent. It's also trust, and it's also treasuring. So if you haven't listened to that yet, we really encourage you to go back to last week's episode and check that out. It was a really great discussion. And so now we're going to kind of put our boots on the ground, which we did a little bit last week, uh, and we're going to look at what is how does courageous faith, our core value of courageous faith, how does that affect how we read our Bibles? How, how does faith interact with uh, reading Scripture? And I'm really excited about asking those questions today. So uh, to, to help us walk through that, we've got, uh, again, with us, Sam Storms is here with us. Sam, you feeling good? You ready for this? Um, I am. I'm. I'm hoping that you're going to really fill in the gaps on this one. I, I'm ready. I'm. I'm. I'm ready. <laughs> We've both read the same source text, yeah. so it'll be good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about. Um, I, I don't know if we need to recap at all what we what we talked about. If you were to distill our last conversation that we had about courageous faith in in, mm-hmm. in as few words as possible, <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you a hard task at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, how might you do that? Yeah, I think it, it at its core. It's a bottom line here. It's trusting and entrusting oneself to God based on the integrity of his person and the assurance of his promises that oftentimes leads us to do things in defiance of what common sense or circumstances might require. Yeah, so I, I think that, that's about that, it. That's that's kind of what we talked about. And again, that doesn't mean acting stupidly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, you know the so-called leap in the dark, mm. um, uh, as if somehow God's calling us to jump off the edge of a mountain. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I I think you know we talked a little bit about how courageous faith is a, a little bit of a tautology. That, yep. That faith, by definition entails looking away from self it's not a you know unfortunately there are some who, who think that faith is this uh, is this weapon uh, by which we or this whip if you will by which we um, uh, enforce um, God's will on people or by mm. which we can control circumstances or even create reality faith is always uh, an expression of our weakness and our mm. dependency um, but the courageous element is is that I'm going to actually take a risk and trust that the God who revealed himself to me in Scripture is who he says he is and will do what he's promised to do. Yeah. Well, I can't help but think um, at the top of an episode that we're going to talk about uh, courageous reading of our Bibles uh, and and with your definition that you gave about doing something that might seem um, kind of counterintuitive, that there's a wisdom of the world that says, eh, you probably shouldn't do that, and we're going to do it anyway. Uh, We look at the Bible— 
Um, why should we trust a book <laughs> written over thousands of years by many different authors? Uh, are, are we lunatics to think that <laughs> this book was written by God through people? Uh, or like uh, that, that seems to be the first step of courageous faith that we have to take when reading our Bibles. So, um, I mean, maybe talk a bit about sure. what we believe as Christians and yeah. about this book and why it's a little crazy. Well, my guess is I hope that uh, our listeners are readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are, they probably have uh, the things that they enjoy reading most. Um, we're not talking about reading for recreation. Mm. We're, we're not talking about um, reading merely for the aesthetic pleasure of um, wordsmith, you know, a person who's really a great at wordsmithing and they can craft sentences and turn a phrase or uh, make use of an analogy or an illustration. And we find kind of a, an aesthetic delight in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, that I hope that that's what reading does for us, but that's not why we read the Bible. Mm. Now, is the Bible <laughs> literarily glorious yeah. and beautiful and aesthetically pleasing? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, the literary forms um, and structures that we find in Scripture are, you know, the metaphors, the similes, the analogies, all of the uh, the, the various figures of speech. It it surpasses anything that I think you can read anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But that's not primarily what draws us to Scripture mm-hmm. or roots us in God's Word. Um, I'll just give you an example. I'm reading a couple of biographies now. I'm kind of inching my way through them of two uh, figures um, of you know the, the early 20th century. One of them is the biography of Lenin, oh, uh, you know the architect of the Russian Revolution. Yeah. The other is the biography of Churchill. I'm really enjoying. These guys are superb writers. They've done great research. But there's something unique about the Bible that sets it above and beyond even the best historical biography. Uh, I'm being informed. I'm learning a lot about these individuals as I read these biographies. But nothing uh, transforms me like the Scriptures do. So Mm. why then do we think that reading the Bible is, um, is preeminent? Because we believe Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, mm-hmm. we believe that these these words, these letters, these historical narratives that we have in Scripture, these poet poems that we find, for example, in the Psalms, are the the product of the creative breath of God. Mm-hmm. God breathed out through, <clears throat> excuse me, through human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, what God wanted to communicate to us is the revelation of himself, what he's like, what he's doing, what he has promised for us, what he's made available to us in Christ. So the Bible is God-breathed. It's it's not, yeah, and again, I don't want us to, we, we could easily veer off into a conversation <laughs> about what we call the dual authorship of Scripture. Right. Um, the fact of the matter is Paul's personality comes through in his yes, writings. Yeah. Um, you know, Peter's grammar isn't quite as sophisticated as, as you might have expected of somebody in the first century. Uh, you know, there are, David is incredibly passionate, almost, uh, almost unhinged in the Psalms. Mm. So the reality of the human author's personality and circumstances is very much there. And yet in a miracle that we can't grasp, the Spirit of God made use of that in such a way that they communicated precisely what he wanted said without marginalizing or manipulating their own feelings and beliefs 
and uh, personalities. So we believe it's God-breathed. Secondly, uh, we, be- we read Scripture because we-, we believe that in it, God is revealed. Mm. In other words, we see the glory of God mm-hmm. as re- in-, in Scripture. Um, you know, I suppose there are some who can read the Bible simply for knowledge. Right. You just because they want to be able to say to somebody, hey, let me tell you what I've learned. Let me tell you some- a little bit about the life of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, that's not why we read it. We read it because... We want to behold the supreme worth of God and have our hearts awakened with white-hot worship for him. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate goal of our reading. Um, and also I, one reason is I have the absolute assurance that when I read the Bible with humility and openness and faith, the Holy Spirit's going to talk to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't read this uh, biography of Lennon or Churchill with any confidence or hope that the Holy Spirit <laughs> is speaking to me through it. Right. I can still learn from it. Right, yeah. But um, the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture. Um, I, I think, for example, uh, let me just, I'm just thinking of a text at the end of John's Gospel hmm. when uh, Jesus said, he's responding to Thomas. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then we immediately pause. We say, no, wait a minute. How can they believe if they haven't seen? Through what mechanism or means do they come to know who this Jesus is? Right. And then he says this, or John says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mm. So why do we read the Bible with courageous faith? It's because we believe that God has supernaturally moved upon certain authors to record his heart, his will through their unique personalities and circumstances so that I can see, I'll put that word see in quotes, Mm -hmm. I can see not necessarily with my eyes, Mm -hmm. I can perceive, I can understand the glory and the beauty and the worth of God is revealed in Jesus for my everlasting satisfaction and his glory. That's Mm -hmm. why I read the Bible. It's the creative product of God. Um, It is, it it reveals God's glory. I see his glory in the words themselves. Mm And the Spirit of God is there to awaken my heart to recognize it. Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah, it's beautiful to think about that. I think whenever I was raised uh, uh, and I and you know I was told to read my Bible growing up, I don't think I was ever told to read my Bible to behold the glory of God. Right. Uh, so that might be uh, a shock to the system to some, to some readers, but hopefully it comes as really good news that, that that's a good reason to, to read your Bible. Yeah. But it does take, I can't help but also think like you've made a lot of really unique, outlandish, uh, from an, a worldly point of view, truth claims about this book. Right. Um, I just, I, I can't help but just think what kind of courageous faith it actually takes to believe this book is what you've just said it is and what it claims to be. Uh, I mean, I just, that, I don't think I often even give proper credit to, what the Holy Spirit has done, even in my own heart, to allow me to believe this book is what it says it is. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's take one Old Testament text. And okay. You're at Bridgeway, so you you hear me repeat this text over and over again, <laughs> uh, probably nine times out of ten, while I'm praying before I preach mm-hmm. from a text, 
I pray Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your word. Now, let's think about that. Mm -hmm. First of all, there are wonderful things in God's word. Yeah. Now, in, in the original text, it says wonderful things in your law because he's referring to the written law of Moses. But we know that that, uh, by, by extension and application, means God's written word, both yes. Old and New Covenants. Um, so there are wonderful—now, why are they wonderful? They're wonderful because they teach us reality. They, they disclose to us who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. They give us guidance for how we should live. Um, they give instruction, exhortation. Um, ultimately, as I said a moment ago, they reveal the beauty of God and the immeasurable worth of who he is for our satisfaction and his praise. So there are wonderful things in God's word, but I am not naturally inclined to see them. Right. In fact, by nature, I take those wonderful things and I spit upon them mm -hmm. and I reject them. I spurn them. I say, don't tell me that. I want to live how I want to live. Um, I, and, and, and my mind by nature is filled with all sorts of, of false uh, concepts and ideas. So I have to have something happen to me supernaturally that will enable me to see the wonderful things in God's Word. Yeah. That's why— <laughs> Especially whenever you use the original word law in it, I think yeah. uh, I think modern listeners can easily grab on to that, that, that struggle. It's like, you want me to see wonderful things in Leviticus and yeah. Deuteronomy? And yeah, folks, go read Psalm 119 in its yeah. totality. Oh, the law is Ugh. the delight of my soul. Yeah. It refreshes my heart. It— you know, yeah. it gives me courage. But uh, it makes sense that, like, I would need help to see exactly. the glory of God in those first five books of the Bible. Absolutely. And, you know, and in all 66 and all, Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I need the Spirit of God to open my eyes. Now, yeah. what do we mean by that? Yeah. Well, the Spirit of God works supernaturally. Now, this, is, this gets us into this whole thing of reading, courageous reading. Mm-hmm. The glory of God is seen in the meaning of texts. Mm. Now, the glory of God is also seen in creation. Yes, right. Um, the glory of God is revealed in in a multiplicity of ways. God is speaking in those ways all the time. But the preeminent revelation by which we... By, by the way, the only reason I know the glory of God is revealed in creation is because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I always circle back around um, uh, to the reality of, of, of God's Word as foundational. But um, I need the Spirit of God... To, to enlighten my mind, to overcome the uh, objections that I might have, to clear away the intellectual cobwebs, as it were, to blow away the fog of all of the uh, nonsensical ideas that I have been taught and learned growing up in this world all these many years. But not just that. I need the Spirit of God to quicken in me to take delight in what I'm seeing in the meaning of text. Mm, yeah, uh, It's that he actually um, infuses my heart with not simply the recognition of what the texts mean, but more importantly, the beauty and the glory of that or him to whom the texts point. Right. So, you know, we this is the difference between bibliolatry and truly reading the Bible in a God-glorifying way. Mm. Bibliolatry basically says that we rejoice in the words as an end in themselves. Mm. We take a preeminent delight in the structure of sentences and in the, in the uh, emotive power of images, but we don't. 
these words that we're asking the Spirit to enable us to understand are there to point us to a reality beyond themselves, mm-hmm. namely the reality of who God is and yeah. what He has done and what He will do. Is it possible then for bibliolatry to also be this this where we get to the meaning of the words, but never to the one who like who they're about? It, like where it's sure. like, you get the point of the text, so you're not necessarily like, man, that was a beautiful sentence. But you're like, okay, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's where and that's it. And you never get to the fact that God has wed Himself to humanity, or something like that. Right. Where that's where the beauty lies is is in that God has created a way for us to flourish as human beings between man and wife. There's, there's. I'm just wondering, like, it's not just bibliolatry, as you put it, isn't just necessarily if you're if you're a a, a, a literary enthusiast. It's also for people who get the text but don't necessarily get God from the text. Is it's, that fair? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We have to, we love the text. I love grappling with words yeah. and sentences and phrases. I'm, um, I mean, I'm laughed at by people all the time when I tell them that I absolutely love prepositions. prepositions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's such rich truth. Right. I mean, you know, just take the example I oftentimes use, uh, Romans eleven thirty six: for from him mm-hmm. and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever and ever. And you sit there and you think, all right, from, through, to, from, origin, cause. God is the source of everything that is. Through him, everything that is continues to be. Mm-hmm. If I could say this, continues to is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's being is sustained through it's the con- <laughs> it's constant exertion of God's energy. And all of it is to him or for him. It's right. designed to magnify him. Therefore, but no wonder Paul says, to him be glory forever and ever. <laughs> so just meditating on those incredible little words and learning how to, to ask questions of the text, um, they are, that's why I oftentimes, and I, I didn't originate this saying, that whenever the word therefore appears in Scripture, we say, what is therefore, therefore? therefore. <laughs> yeah. It's there for a reason, namely to draw connections and mm-hmm. causal relationships. And I know some people listening right now are saying, you guys are sound like a bunch of geeks, <laughs> a bunch of grammatical geeks. Come on, get down to where I live. Right. Well, we are, because it is those those little phrases and words and connections and therefores and fors and becauses and in order that's mm-hmm. those little phrases right. that awaken us to true life-giving reality yeah. of the greatness and the glory of God. Well, I can't help but think about like, you know, if, if people if people listening were thinking, man, this is a little nitpicky with language, um, I can't help but think about how many um, arguments you might get in with your spouse or with a friend over how they worded something they said to you. And it's like, no, 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 you said it like this, mm-hmm. and you want to get really nitpicky about it. Or flip it over to something that's really kind. And it's like, man, the way you said that to me really encouraged me and really meant a lot to me that you said it in this particular way. And so I think we know when, when, when we have a, a, someone who's near and dear to us or someone that, uh, that we have a lot of respect for, um, when they say something to us, we treasure or revile every single word and get nitpicky about it as long as it matters to us. And so what we're saying is the Bible matters to us, and that's why we're nitpicky about it, because I want to know, did God say that everything's from him or through him or to him? I want to know what those words mean, and I want to sure. get granular with it, because there's something glorious behind those words, which is God himself. Yeah, uh, just take as another example John fifteen eleven, where Jesus, in the upper room on the night in which he was betrayed, 
said to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you in order that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Mm. All right, now, David, uh, you and I, are, we're not in the upper room, right? It's too bad. Oh, that's right. Yep. Are we at a disadvantage to mm. those who were? It's a good question. The answer is, I don't think so. Right. Because Jesus, in that upper room discourse, tells his apostles, the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and he's going to remind you of all these things that I have said, and mm-hmm. you're going to write them down. So that when we read here in 2019, these things which Jesus spoke to them, and we see those things in the text, Mm -hmm. we recognize that the reason they are there is in order that our joy might be full, might be complete, not just partial, but our joy may be full. There is no ultimate delight or joy in this life apart from the spirit-infused power that is found in the in the words of the text. Um, God has commissioned and ordained it so that it would be committed to writing, so that it would be preserved for generations beyond those of the first century who weren't in the upper room, mm-hmm. who didn't, you know, there are people listening to our voices right now because they're alive at this time on the earth. Um, but those same individuals who are alive at that time when Jesus was present in the upper room are not in a position of superiority to us. I, I, mm. uh, I remember John Piper said something once when he said, this is, uh, the Gospels are better than being there. Yeah. And I thought, oh, John, <laughs> come on, that's yeah. outrageous. Right. What do you mean? Yeah. We all would, the idea of actually having been present on that hilltop when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And his point was, but look at what the Gospels, look what the four Gospels give you. Mm. They give you differing perspectives. Right. They give you a, a, a prime, a, an emphasis that, that you might not have seen if you had only heard Jesus preach that message once, when in fact he probably preached it multiple times. Right. And you, th- there is a, a robust fullness to what we have in the four written Gospels that I can read those And with the help and the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, I can see things and experience the glory of God conceivably in ways that not even those who are present with him could. Right. I mean, I can't help but think about how, you know, in that, in around that same text where he says, it's better that I go away so you, that, that you can receive the Holy Spirit. That's better that he's with you than I'm with you, which seems just so counterintuitive. But then we kind of see it play out, especially the way Luke ends his gospel when, um, you know, they've been with Jesus this whole time. They knew their Old Testament. You know, they, mm-hmm. they knew their Bible really well. And yet it wasn't until on the road to Emmaus and then when Jesus was with them all at the end of Luke, when the Holy Spirit came and opened their eyes, that they were actually able to rejoice in who Jesus was as the fulfillment of all of Scripture. And it, it, it took that that breathing in of the Holy Spirit um, for them to actually be able to behold who Jesus was, even though they were walking with him. And so, of course, it's better that the Holy Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit uh, guiding us through the written words of the Bible because the disciples had Jesus with them and they missed it. They still didn't quite yeah. see the full picture. Well, we have that phrase oftentimes, seeing, but they do not see. Right. Seeing with their literal eyes, yes, but not perceiving with mm. their hearts the beauty of what was being stated. Here's another text that, that talks about the importance of the, the written word in Ephesians 3. Uh, Paul talks about, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is Ephesians 3, verses 2 and following. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation 
as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Hmm. So here's Paul saying, I, I got to know this truth by direct revelation. Right. Um, but I have written about this to you, and when you read it, you can perceive my insight. You, you can see it with as much clarity, with as much power, with hmm. as much joy as if you were sitting with me and the Spirit of God had disclosed it to you as directly as he did to me. Wow. That's just stunning. Think about that. Listen to that again. When you read this, folks, if you don't read your Bible, you're not going to understand the mystery of Christ. You're not going to see the incredible truths about him um, that have been heretofore, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, Mm -hmm. hidden, you know, they came in symbols and prophecies and types and shadows and whatever. But to perceive the mystery of Christ, all that God is for you in Jesus, you have to read the revelation that was given to Paul. And and it is just as powerful, just as quickening, just as life-changing as if you had been there with Paul in the first place. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's just, so, you know, yeah. I, um, and maybe we can, you know, venture off into this subject. We live in a visually image-driven world. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And um, reading has fallen on hard times. Mm. Um, you know, what is it? Less, less than 3% of people actually read books. Oh, wow. Um, and it's all, again, I love images. I love pictures. I love but it, it, they are not um, intrinsically self-defining. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. Yep. Uh, they have to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. They have to be explained. They, and the, the glory of reading Scripture is, is something that I fear a lot of Christians have lost sight of. One reason, because they, they honestly don't know how to. Mm-hmm. Their lives are so consumed by um, everything else that they don't have time uh, they read a chapter and they just close it saying, yeah, this is boring. I don't understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. We've lost the art of reading. Right. And yet Paul is saying, do you want to see the mystery of Christ? You want to see the grandeur of God's glory in Jesus, the way that it was revealed to me? Read my words. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I so man, we, we've talked a lot about the nature of Scripture, um, why we read the Bible, to behold the glory of God, what the Bible is, the revelation of God himself through the, the meaning of the text. We get to see who God is, um, all this stuff. Uh, I, I'm wondering, I mean, I, I just, I keep coming back. I think I've said it three times now because I just keep getting struck by it because I don't know if I've ever really thought about it this way, that it takes a lot of faith to believe that all this stuff sure. is happening oh, in a yeah. book, and I just I, I I can't I can't help, especially when we're talking about the the the, the crisis of reading, and 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 even in inside the church that maybe we're not reading our Bibles is uh do we is it because we don't have faith in what this book is if if it, we kind of talked about that in, in last week's episode where we talked about 
if you had intellectual assent to who, who Jesus was, how could you not trust him with everything? If you trust him with everything, how could you not treasure him with your whole heart? And if you did all three of those, how would you not live out courageously what he's done like, exactly. for, for you? Sure. And so in the same way, if you have intellectual assent that God has revealed himself through written word, if you trust that the Bible is this written revelation of who God is, if you then find yourself treasuring the fact that you could behold the, the living eternal God in these written words, how could you not read your Bible? It, it seems like a foregone conclusion at that point. And so it is the problem of Bible reading a problem of faith is I think the question I want to ask here and pose to you. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I definitely think it's a problem of faith. <laughs> As you said, we don't believe what God has said about his word. We, you know, we hear what Paul says here. Um, I, let me give you one other example. Yeah. Uh, opening verses of Revelation, where where John says, actually, it's the angel who's speaking on behalf of Jesus, speaking to John. John <laughs> writes it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> In other words, there's a blessing. And then he continues. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right, so what's it going to take for me actually to believe that that is true? Mm. Um, where where does my, my the courage of my faith in the integrity of God come into play? Um, and I I do have to com- I have to act on this. I have to say, all right, Lord. I do believe you are who you claim to be. I do believe what you've said about the origin and the nature of this book. And you tell me that there is a blessing, that there is, that there is a joy, a delight, a beatitude, as it were, that comes to those who read these words and then respond appropriately to them in obedience. Mm. And so, yes, there's, there's a massive element of faith. Um, I mean, let's, I'm going to be honest. I think all people would be. There are things that I read in the Bible that I struggle to believe. Right. Uh, it's not that I reject them. No. I, there are things in the Bible when I simply say, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to fully understand it to the point that I can uh, trust its truth. I mean, Peter said that about Paul. Paul wrote <laughs> difficult, difficult things. things. Uh, so here's an apostle who's saying, I don't fully understand what Paul's saying, mm-hmm. but he equates what Paul said as Scripture. Right. Uh, and people, he said, distort and they twist what he said as they do the other scriptures. Um, so I think one of the ways to um, kind of nurture our faith in the in the truth of what God's word is and what happens to us when we diligently read it and meditate upon it again, all through the, the, the Bible, especially in the Psalms, about talks about meditating on these words, just you know, not taking one phrase, one sentence, one psalm, and just soaking in the reality of it. One of the ways that that can happen is by reading what the Bible says about itself. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 119 is the best place to do that. Yeah. Now, again, Psalm 119 is so counterintuitive because he's talking about the law of God. Right. And most of us just shake our heads and say, good grief. I don't want to read about the abominations of Leviticus 18. You know, I don't want to read about the curses of Deuteronomy 28. Sure. Um, but, I mean, listen, just listen to some of these statements in Psalm 119. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Hmm. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, today we might say, well, that guy was a legalist, you know, <laughs> the guy who just right. wants rules. Yeah. But he knew that in God's rules were warnings about what would threaten my soul and and, and truth about what would bring it greatest blessing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he, he's things like your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. Um, I long for your precepts. I find my delight in your commandments. I love them. Um, over and over and again, I have hoped in your word. Uh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, over and over and over again. Yeah. And all right, the question is, am I going to believe that? Right. Am I going to that believe? That the Bible's better than money. Yeah. yeah. Am I going to believe <laughs> that? Well, the only... Okay, I'll take you just... Let, let me talk about this. You said money and it evoked the word honey. Okay, yeah. If I had a jar of honey here on the table in front of us, David, and yep. I said, David, look at this honey. Mm-hmm. He looked, I said, I'm wow, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, it's really got a golden hue to mm-hmm. it. It's, just, it's really... It's, it looks thick and... And, uh, and I said, David, let me tell you about the uh, chemical composition of honey. And I talked about it. And then I go and I said, I'll give you a long lecture on how it was produced by bees. And, and, and all of this is great, but you'll never know honey until you reach over with your finger and you dip it in mm-hmm. and you get a lot on it and you put it in your mouth. You go, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my. This goes far beyond just the physical properties of it. I have tasted it. And now there is a delight and a joy and a satisfaction in me, not just at what honey is, but what it was designed to do, namely create pleasure in my mouth and mm-hmm. my taste buds. Well, that's the same thing with Scripture. Right. When people listen to what I just read from Psalm 119, and they say, I want to believe that. How do I find the faith to, to experience the same thing that David did when he wrote that? Well, you got to taste it. Mm-hmm. You got to dip your finger into scripture. You got to open your eyes and set aside time. And and, and we need probably need to talk about this. You need to pray right. that the spirit of God would quicken the word of God to your heart. And you will find that it is as sweet as honey yeah. uh, to the taste. It, it is life-changing. It is joy-giving. It is life-sustaining. But again, that will not happen if, if, if we just, you know, I carry my Bible around, I take it to church on Sunday, I leave it on the, you know, the coffee table so people will think I'm religious when they visit my home. But you've got to actually read the text. You got to, and, and that doesn't mean you have to sit down and read through uh, uh, Jeremiah at one sitting. <laughs> right. You know, you might want to take just one or two verses and, and just immerse yourself in them, turn them back into prayer to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then say, Spirit of God, I'm, you really do need to open my eyes. Yes. You need to soften my heart. You need to overcome the objections that I have to the truth of this. And it's just like tasting honey. You have to actually taste it in order to know what it is and what it's good for. You have to do that with Scripture as well. Yeah. Yeah, linking back into this discussion on courage, I just can't help but, but just kind of make the statement that reading is an act of courage. Reading the Bible is an act of courage. It, it especially reading it faithfully, w- w- like as an act of faith, to actually say that what is in this book that I'm about to read, I will take as truth. What is in this book that I'm about to see, I will delight in, and it means that 
there are lies. You're going to, at that, at that point, the Bible's coming as your accuser and you're going to have to be willing to identify lies in your life. You're going to have to be willing to, uh, have a light shown on that, which you have treasured above God. And so it does take this vulnerable courage to throw yourself upon the scriptures and risk having the lies in your life pointed out, the um, the things that you're treasuring above God pointed out. The you know it's like it really is this this courageous, risky thing to do. It's like I just can't help but think like we talked last last week about people feeling discontent and bored and wanting a better story for their life. And so they, they, they want something to risk for and they want to live courageously. And so it's like, you want to live courageously? Like you want to take a risk? Read your Bible with faith and just see how your life is transformed. Right. And, and again, let's make sure, and I've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to say it again. Um, merely the words on the page mm-hmm. do not necessarily guarantee this life-giving, joy-filled reaction in your heart because there are thousands upon thousands of biblical scholars who are spiritually dead. That's right. And I've got a lot of their books in my library, and believe it or not, they bring a lot of insight (laughs) into the text. Right. And when you say spiritually dead, you mean they they, they profess that they are not believers. Oh, no. No, their study of the Bible is purely an academic exercise. Um, they don't, they don't really care or believe whether or not it's true. Uh, they just find it a fascinating document, mm-hmm. uh, which it is, Yeah. but there has to be a heart that has been transformed by the regenerating work of the spirit that longs to see not just words on a page, but the reality of that to which they point the, 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 the reality of who God is. Uh, so getting back to what you were just saying, yeah, you know, I, I, it just immediately brought to mind Philippians 3, where Paul gives us his CV, you know, his curriculum vitae, his resume, and he talks about all of his fleshly accomplishments, his mm-hmm. educational background, his, gen, his uh, genealogy. Um, and, and then he makes this incredible statement, whatever gain I had through all these things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Uh, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as refuse, as literally excrement for the sake of knowing and experiencing the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the treasure. Now, reading that, I I wonder, people who are listening to this, let me just issue kind of a, I'm preaching to you now, (laughs) just a personal (laughs) challenge. Do you believe that? Hmm. As you look at your life right now, where you're investing your energy, your time, your money, your, your, uh, your family, do you believe that in comparison with knowing Christ, it's all rubbish? Hmm. If, if you think, no, that's just, those are just the words of a fanatic. He's, just, he's, he's, he's gone overboard. Hmm. The guy's got a screw loose. Well, I know a lot of people say that. I believe that. And, and does it take courage for mm. me to believe that? Sure, but it's a courage that comes from the Spirit of God. Why? Because I, I look at that, and then I read what Paul says about this Christ. Mm-hmm. I read what John says about him in his gospel. I read about what David prophesied of him in the Psalms. Um, and I and the Spirit of God is faithful to awaken me to the truth of what Paul just said. 
but I won't get that if I don't read it. Right. God's entrusted it to words, um, and and if we don't take him at his word and read it with confidence that he's going to do in my heart through the Spirit what he says he will do, then obviously it will be a tedious, boring, and uh, a task that we'll eventually just cast aside. Yeah. Well, I— uh... I feel like I've I've gotten some answers to uh, kind of what I was looking for today on what why do we read the Bible what what does it mean to to read the Bible what is the Bible and then what does it look like to engage with it courageously to actually take it for what it is to to step out of our 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 places of comfort where we don't have to be challenged where we we don't we get to delight in whatever we want and to step into this biblical world. That is showing us um, God Himself in 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 the in the, in the pages. So, um, is there anything else you want to yeah, want to touch there on? Is. Okay, great. I want to touch on a real practical question here because I know a lot of people are asking, "How do I read my Bible?" Right. Yeah. How do I how do I see in these verses and these phrases and these images, Sam, what you're talking about? Um, a, a couple of practical suggestions. Um, there are a multiplicity of, of Bible reading plans, mm-hmm. um, and some of them are better than others. I, I <laughs> yes. don't recommend, I know this may sound strange, if you haven't really read through the Bible, I don't recommend you start at Genesis 1-1 and read consecutively through each book as it appears to the book of Revelation. You can do that, mm-hmm. but it becomes a, a somewhat difficult uh, as time goes on. There are, um, I would just, I'm just going to recommend this. Go to the Gospel Coalition website and, um, and open up the blog of Justin Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's right there. You can find it easily. And type into the search engine, Bible Reading Plans. And Justin wrote an excellent article, actually a couple of years ago, about all of the various Bible reading plans. And he mm-hmm. has links on his blog to where you can access them on your computer. You don't have to go buy anything. They're right there. Uh, one of the best ones is by McShane. He has one of the best annual Bible reading plans. So that is a way to start out. And they give you a strategy where you can take bite-sized bits, as it were, on a daily basis and it takes no more than 15 minutes a day. And you can actually read through the Bible in a year. Yeah. And you can do it in a meaningful way. Now, a second recommendation is going to sound very self-serving. Okay. But I did this precisely for this reason. I've actually, and it's not just me, there are numerous others who've done it as well, but I have written daily devotional studies based on the text of Scripture. Mm. Now, for example, um, I'm just concluding a series in Colossians um, on Sundays at Bridgeway, and I wrote a book called The Hope of Glory, 100 Daily Devotions in Colossians. So I take line upon line, verse upon verse, sometimes focusing on a single word, sometimes on a paragraph. If you take the Bible in those smaller bits and then you read it and then you read reflections on it by an author, whether Mm. it's me or somebody else, that will really help. That will awaken the Word of God to you. I did it in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. I did it in two volumes in 2 Corinthians. I did Colossians. I did the seven letters of Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, Don Carson has done daily devotions based on text. Paul Tripp has several excellent volumes in this regard. Um, So... Don't think that when we're talking about reading your Bible that you need to, you know, during your lunch hour today, sit down and read through the book of Romans in one reading. Now, that would be great, yeah. but it might be a little overwhelming. 
it might be better for you to um, to just to take two or three verses mm-hmm. and look at them and reflect on them and maybe find a devotional study. Um, study Bibles are also helpful. By the way, just a little practical advice: don't in, uh, do your annual Bible reading plan with a study Bible, right? Because you will get bogged down reading yeah. the notes. <laughs> you'll you'll read a verse you don't, and then your mind, your eyes will go down the bottom of the page, and you'll read that. And before you know it, your time is up, and you haven't gotten through the amount of text you wanted to read. Right. Go back to the study Bible after you've read uh, the assignment for that particular day. So that's yep. just a little practical word of advice. So I would just say to people, um, it's not as difficult as you think. There are so many resources that are made available. Uh, in fact, many of the study Bibles will actually have annual Bible reading plans in them. Right. Uh, that you can make use of. So I just wanted to leave our people with some practical counsel on how to actually read the Bible and to courageously believe that what it says is truth. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful. I'll I'll make sure to put links uh, to everything you've just mentioned in the description of the podcast. So um, if you you have access to that through your podcast app, you can go to the description of this episode and click directly to um, the Justin Taylor blog, the McShane Annual Bible Reading Plan, some of Sandstorm's daily devotionals. And uh, I'm also going to put a link to um, a a book that's sitting here on the table that uh, we haven't actually mentioned, uh, but it's John Piper's Reading the Bible Supernaturally, which both Sam and I have read and really enjoyed. And we from a bit today. And um, the subtitle's important. Oh, yes. Seeing and savoring the glory of God in Scripture. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's so crucial. So we'll put a link to all of that to, to hopefully kickstart some practical guides to, uh, to to courageously reading your Bible. This has been really helpful. Sam, thank you so much. Um, next uh, next week, we're going to be talking um, to, uh, to two pastors here on staff about courageous giving. So don't be scared away. Please come back and uh, be with us right. to talk about money, uh, something the Bible is concerned with. And so we, we hope to, to see you back then to talk about courageous giving. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bridgewayokc, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.